welcome back, everyone. Um, so today we have our very first guest on this podcast. Um, and she is a person I will say that is very near and dear to all of us. Um, she is a former high school teacher and coach uh, with over a decade of experience. She has a bachelor's degree in math and education, as well as a master's in education uh, with a focus in library science. She is the founder of The Clear Estate which is a business that specializes in spiritual response therapy, Akashic record clearings, uh, and psychic readings. Um, in addition to her SRT sessions, she also offers one-on-one -on -one transformational mentorships uh, and has most recently released the Amore program, uh, one that focuses on all things relationships with yourself and others. Uh, she's also an executive contributor to Brains Magazine, and on top of all that, she goes by the name DJ Chakrates when she's dropping some sick tech house beats around the LA area. Um, we all originally became introduced to her through, originally through SRT sessions, um, which I think I can speak for all of us, cracked us all wide open, um, really helped us make a lot of sense about a lot of lifelong traits that we've had and how we interact with others, um, as well as some insight into some significant past life um, stuff that we've had. Um, Lexi, Mia, and I have also worked with Ashley in uh, transformational uh, in her transformational mentorship, um, and transformation is an understatement of what can be accomplished in this space with her. Um, so with that being said, uh, we're going to dive right back into all things relationships, um, a topic that we started talking about a couple weeks ago. Um, so I would like to introduce our mentor, our friend, our coven sister, Ashley DeSelvo. Uh, so Ashley, welcome to the Agitators podcast. Um, we're thrilled to have you as our first guest. And... So let's just dive right in. Um, I think first off, what we should probably talk about is your new program that you just released. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that um, and what people can kind of expect from sure. that and what they can get um, out so of that? So thanks for having me, guys. This is the first time I've been on a podcast. So first and first, um, really excited and honored. And thanks for hyping me up. <laughs> I realize how much I do until somebody else says it, you know, that it sounds so grandiose. Um, so my Amori program, I wanted to create something to help my clients and just the general public with uh, relationships. I have all this experience with coaching and teaching and being in people's lives. And I think the first time I started really wanting to help people with relationships was when I was teaching high school uh, and coaching high school athletics, I seemed to become the middleman between parents and, and kids, as I think most teachers do. And, you know, I, I was doing a lot of work myself. I was fresh out of a divorce. And so I thought back to this moment recently when I was in Hawaii for a month and just wanted to create something to help originally Honestly, the thought on my mind was like parents and kids. That was what I was looking for. That was what I was hoping for because I don't provide my SRT services to children. Um, so just providing something for the younger generation because I have that relationship with a lot of kids that are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 
14, 15, 13 even. And then as I sat down and started channeling it and writing it, it became something that seemed more for the intimate relationships between adults. It just kind of flew through me. My intention was to help people understand their relationship with themselves so that they can better understand and uh, maneuver their relationships with others. That was it. So it turned into something crazy and fun and interesting. And I don't know, I'm, I'm still figuring out what it is for myself. Um, I use a lot of just like, you know, my background with therapy and with coaching and with training and um, with my experiences. And I just hope that the public enjoys it as much as I think they will. I think we we watched the podcast episode that we talked about relationships last time, last night, so we could refresh ourselves. Um, <clears throat> and that was one of the notes that I took was like relationships with others as a reflection Always. of your relationship with yourself. And I think like that is like one of the most pivotal things that like we've learned from our mentorship with you and in like a wide variety of ways, not even necessarily that that's what we were trying to work on, but it's really amazing how when you're focused on yourself, that ripples out into your relationships with others. I mean, <laughs> even this morning. It's a powerful piece. Mm -hmm. <laughs> radical self-reliance and like radical <laughs> responsibility um, is a really important thing that I started focusing on probably like two years after my divorce. I had always, I mean, I've, I've gone to therapy for a long time. I have some some childhood trauma that, you know, has, has been the focus for me for a long time. And so that is just, you continuously drudge through that as an adult and you learn to just continue to work with it because it, it'll keep popping up and trauma begets trauma and will lead to more trauma. So, you know, it's important to, as you take steps in your life and more trauma kind of finds you or you become triggered or like for me, it was my divorce. My parents were divorced when I was younger. I never thought I'd get divorced. Um, that was a big trauma for me like many people. And so then once I was divorced, it like drudged up all this stuff that subconsciously I, I had never dealt with about my parents' divorce. And then the shame of being divorced and, um, you know, just feeling upset that like it happened to me, you know, and like I thought it never would. So um, once I started doing, you know, getting back into therapy for the divorce, I also started doing self-empowerment. I, I worked with a, a company called PSI um, they did seminars and I did their mm -hmm. basic seminar and that was like groundbreaking. And that again, focuses on you, you know, it's like, before we can talk about any interaction you're having, you have to address you. Like, are you good? Because it's all about how you show up. And I think a lot of the work that they did helped with like victim status, right? Is that a lot of us like to take on this energy of like, well, I've been hurt and I've been harmed. And so we, we pause and we freeze, and then we make that a reason not to continue to connect with new people. Um, and that was really groundbreaking for me to, mm -hmm. you know, just recognize and check myself when I was becoming the victim. Um, and I think I write a lot of Amore from that stance mm -hmm. where, you know, it's like, in what way can I shift my, my mentality every time I think about a relationship to how did I show up 
to get the result that I got. And, you know, that's, that's been mm-hmm. the focus and what I focus on with students when I was teaching, with you guys in transformation, um, with my clients in SRT. It's, it was groundbreaking for me because once you unlock that, then you have, you're in the driver's seat, right? You're no longer, you're no longer relying on somebody else to forgive you or to seek your forgiveness or to initiate contact or to um, help you. It's like, no, you, you got it. If you can put yourself in the driver's seat, that creates an energy that will automatically attract the energy that you want in others. So, you know, that is the reflection piece. That's what you're reflecting is whatever you're giving off, you're getting. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think, and I think that's like super important as a dynamic as a parent. Like we, I think we just talked about that yesterday too. Like mm-hmm. tiny ones are the immediate reflection. Like it doesn't even take a little while for the energy to, to come back to you. It's like right, right. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I mean, I struggle with that like all the time. Like Ronan is like, he's just, it's like I'm trying to interact with him, and his immediate response is screaming, and I'm like. What did I do? And then when you look back and reflect on it, you're like, oh, well, you're not necessarily screaming, but if you're coming in with all this energy and you're trying to dictate what they're doing and they just want to do what they want to do, they're not like, we don't like to be told what to do as adults. So why don't we think that they like to be told what to do? But I think that's the dynamic societally that we're ingrained to do is that's our job to tell them what to do instead of letting them kind of lead themselves and us just kind of follow along and make sure they just don't hurt themselves or do anything crazy along the way. And that's a huge shift for me. That's hard to make because that's not how I was raised. And that's not, I don't think that's how a lot of us were raised And you know, and, and so I, it's just, it's very eye opening when a toddler is responding to you in a certain way and you don't really realize it in the moment until afterwards when you reflect and you're there like, I am we'll try again tomorrow so when I was at Psy um, they have multiple seminars that they do and, and the second one is, is a longer one I can't really talk too much about it that's how you know the secret society of this program works but um, we don't want to ruin anybody's breakthrough, right? So I can't talk too much about it. But I will say that in the second level of this program, um, I had a conversation with one of the facilitators. He actually was just having it with everybody. And it was like a break in between things, and, and he wanted to answer questions for parents. And he talked about uh, the first time that he had taken a parenting class through Psy and how hard it was for him to shift away from, you know, teacher and giving and, and you know, giving an education or giving information versus facilitator and observer and how that shift for him as a parent was huge. And then like the first time that he recognized it and like she had fallen, fallen asleep in class and um, ended up being like super embarrassed and was just, it, there was this thing with setting her own, um, setting her own bedtime. And so that was like the first thing that they had, but um, I won't go too much into the story, but I can remember like as a teacher, and this was only, I only took this course two years ago, but as a teacher sitting there and being like, oh my God, if parents knew this, right? If parents could check in with, with this idea, um, the amount of you know pushback I would get as a teacher, the 
a lot of pushback schools would get the relationship building that could happen between teacher and parent and administrator and parent would be so different because it'd be less about control and more about joining in right it's 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 more about participating than it is about leading uh, and you know i think the beautiful part about kids is that they don't have the social filters yet of like passive aggressiveness that builds off of you know what they've seen for so long and how they've seen it work and the kind of i used to hate to use the word but manipulation tactics that a lot of people use to try to avoid or to try to pacify because that's what they were taught to do by their parents that's what they saw to do by their guardians so um you know kids are a really great a great gauge because they will show you exactly what they're giving there's there's no like shutting down you know there there's no putting the filter off and you know letting the the water seep through it's like here's what you're here's what you're giving me you're showing up with this here i'm going to give it back to you and so it's really beautiful that you that you're recognizing that with Ronan because they're they're worth it you know they're they're the most worth it and actually part of the reason i i didn't pursue mm -hmm. coaching adults for a long time was because i really didn't feel that they were worth it like i, I had my own trauma with like our you know our, can i really help them will they really break their their you know structured patterns can i do i have the patience was really what the question was for myself was like do i have the patience to like pause and not you know like remove myself and and become just a conscious observer as in a part of their journey like i do for kids and that that's why i didn't you know teach adults or coach adults for a long time is because I thought kids were more worth it because they are so easy. We don't have to drudge through all of the extra, you know, crap that we learn when we're older. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you mentioned like manipulation too. And it's funny because like, I think as like adults, we think that kids are like purposely at a young age manipulating us like i know i've said it before i've been like you, there's like no way that he's not purposely doing this this and, this and it's like but they're not it's just they're just genuinely just trying to do whatever they want to do it's us it's yeah. the manipulation tactics yeah. that we've learned and that we do Absolutely. on a regular basis that causes us to think it's that funny how that right works right how like and then again there is that mirroring showing up right like how how do how do you show up to feel like they're manipulating you who else has been manipulating you how have you been manipulating them how have you been manipulating yourself right mm -hmm. is always the shifting back relationship work is always shifting back and saying okay why is this mirroring for me right like in what way is this happening to me in what way am i doing it to me in what way am i doing it to others that I'm now getting it rebounded to me. Uh, it's just, again, radical, radical, uh, radical responsibility for one, right? It's like, okay, I'm, how do I show up to be the result of you? And I think there's a lot to learn in manipulation tactics. I mean, we, we do it, you know, it's, it's definitely a part of what we're, what we're taught to do. And I, I don't want to get too deep into the emotional side of the relationships right now, I guess, but I think that that has to do with the shutting down of the emotion, right? Because the manipulation comes truly because we're trying to shift an emotional response because we're told we shouldn't feel it. I feel sad right now, but I should be happy right now. So let me, let me manipulate my own self. Let me manipulate my own way of being 
so that I can show up differently for others because they can't handle me if I show up this way. No one can handle me if I show up this way because my parents could, because I could, because no one taught me how to. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's like internalized at a super young age. Like those, that, you know what I mean? Like the reactions in real time, even like at Rona's age, like he's learning those things now, like when it's hard for us to handle like a big emotion that he had, then <clears throat> he he's that's he's learning like oh this is too much or i have to you know i have to change something because it, this thing in me causes this effect around me whether that's he likes it and wants more of it or he doesn't like it and you know what i mean like feels like he needs to and i think that's something. generational that's where generational mm -hmm. trauma starts to really set in because it's not your fault that you don't know how to handle that emotion in him right it, you're you're probably trying to handle the emotion within yourself <laughs> it's like you know like going to the therapy doing the transformational mentorship like doing all these processes is how we unlearn what we were you know taught and structured to do by our parents who also had trauma from their parents who had trauma and so this is where like that 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 line is like where does it end and how do you break the circle when they talk about you know breaking the circle in, in psychology it's hard to do um, and I think the biggest thing is recognizing, okay, why is it so hard for me? Again, shifting to me. Why is it so hard for me to handle his emotion right now? And, and, and just by, and you can even talk with him through that. Like, I'm trying to handle this right now. Like, I, I'm trying to work through this. I'm not sure why it's so hard, but I see you, right? Just seeing him and like, it's okay. Like, let's work through it together. Let him be a part of your process. Because I think too, we also have been taught that like we have to do everything on our own, which like I've had a, uh, I've written some papers on um, like competitive culture and winning and what that looks like and like suffering and how like we truly feel that we have to just like suffer to get through things. I won't waste too much time on this podcast on that, but you know, I think that goes back to suffering where like we feel like we have to suffer on our own. And it's like, no, there's no reason why you can't involve your child in your emotional you know, in the way that you're handling your emotional experience mm -hmm. um, by the very act of you involving him in your response to him shows him that he can be supported and that he can seek support and that that's okay. So the bigger lesson is not, I can't handle it. And so now he picks up and perceives it. Remember, they don't have that filter. So they're not thinking that they're just looking at you and they're like, oh, okay. Right mommy's struggling and I'm struggling, but, but we're, we're doing it together and we're, we're together in this, that allows that energy of support to be open and that channel to be fluid with him, which is really important for young ones, you know, because they do, they, they shut down and think that they have to be alone. And that's so that's where we start to get into like, you know, later suicidal tendencies and kids their age and they're already going to isolate because of social media. And so it's like, the more we can get them interacting at a young age and feeling supported, the better. Right. And I think like, it's like that suffering alone mentality is like pervasive through everything. Like you're not, you're supposed to be perfect and just like this mask of happiness or something for your child. And then beyond that, like in the last episode, we were talking about like the hierarchy of relationships and how like this huge emphasis is put on like a 
single life partner, mm -hmm. I'll say. <laughs> and that relationship being the most important thing and you're in there like everybody waits to meet this one person and you wait all your entire life for your wedding and your whole family is waiting your whole life for your wedding and like so this culture around that relationship then being everything to you and that person handling everything and then within your house you try to keep everything in your house so if you're having trouble with a parenting issue or you're having an inter like marital issue you don't want to tell anybody outside about that because you're supposed to suffer and you know it's everything is shameful and so then the this conditioning that we all have cuts us off from a community which is like what we were all talking about before I think is what feels more true to us and like the level of support that you need like like Lexi is a soulmate of mine like we started in a program of Victoria's together and like the second the Voxer chat opened I was like I have no idea who this human is <laughs> but I know her same. and same uh, like I and and we're gonna be like and I've never had a platonic friend like Lexi who I can show up and not be my best self and it's okay and then we are better together because we share all of those things. And then I'm better for D. But like, that's real, like that's, like I don't think that's normalized at all to have, and like all other people like that. I mean, or like like coven sisters who you've been knowing for a couple lifetimes and you, you have some history together and can support each other in certain ways. But, and then like also how that dynamic leads could potentially what we were exploring before lead to like the divorce rate that we have in this country and the failure of those single life partner relationships because there's all of this pressure on that person to be everything <laughs> i see you both around it's very it's very hard to have a three-year-old be independent for a long time <laughs> Okay. Oh yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that also ties into, you know, like the piece that Ashley was talking about and then, you know, even more pervasive within like the over, like the culture, the overt culture that we have of the suffering. I think like allowing children and allowing small ones to actually see us when we're human, instead of this kind of like, you know, as children, we have this like savior kind of God complex for our parents you know, we see them as other, we see them as separate, we see them as better, you know, a lot of us, it takes us until we're in our, you know, early, like late teens, sometimes even into, you know, adulthood, that then we're like, oh, wow, yeah, our parents are just people, and they're just like us, and they make mistakes, and they're infallible, and that's okay, and I think having the opportunity to raise children without that kind of filter, without that distorted view, of adults specifically because I don't know about any of you guys but when I was growing up I was like oh yeah that person's you know 30 years old they have everything figured out and now I'm almost 30 and I'm like what the fuck <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> so you know I think that's like also huge too and then you know looking even further into that like if we have a difference in that kind of cultural mindset then like how does that change relationships overall like not just like parents and children but like 
then how does that change the way that we view ourselves within the world and how we interact with other people? It's funny you bring up the God complex because something that uh, is talked mm-hmm. about the first time I heard it uh, was in adolescent psychology um, when I was getting my bachelor's. And I remember thinking to myself, because <laughs> for me, uh, I had a, it, it, like there exactly what they described was like me and my dad. And it was, I found out something about my dad and it shattered, I mean, like glass, our relationship. And I still am trying to, and I think we both are trying to like pick up the pieces from that, as crazy as that sounds. And that was, you know, I was like 10 or maybe 12 max. And I'm almost 32 now. So we're looking at, it's taken 10 years to really like reestablish the relationship that we had which will never be the same. And that's okay. It doesn't need to, um, but still trying to reestablish that relationship. And that's the person I've been closest with in my whole life. So that just shows you for me, how groundbreaking it was, um, how life altering it was when I had that experience with the God complex, but the God complex from my understanding is not something that we can really get rid of. Right. Because, no matter what you do, and, and I'll go back to maybe my relationship with my mom, who I had a lot more trauma with in earlier years than my dad, where, you know, as a teenager, it was really easy to just be over my mom. You know, I was like, oh, fuck, like, whatever. Like, you know, she, it got to a point where there was so much letting down that I just stopped expecting. Even that, <laughs> it took me until about adolescence. <laughs> with that relationship to still not see her as perfect. No matter how many times she hurt me, no matter how many times she didn't show up, she still was perfect. I still wanted to grasp that. So, you know, I think that even if we shift the culture, that's always going to happen naturally because we establish love with our parents. And I talk about this a little bit in Amore in, in one of the pillars where we just focus on your relationship with your guardians and your primary caregiver because they are your first experience with love. They're pivotal. And so everything that happens from there is going to impact your future approach to any relationship. But because they're your first love, right? Your parents are the first people you ever love, as as weird as that can sound, even intimately in a way for some people, even seeing them be intimate. Because of that, there is no detachment from the God complex. There's no way for it not to happen because we feel this feeling that we don't feel with anybody else and we hold it tight because that is source. That's source. We start from love. We start from two people connecting intimately in a way that, you know, in all intents and purposes is a physical embodiment of love. There's a connection. So because we start from that, we seek it right away. Um, and we will find that being or those beings to be perfect because they are what brought us there. They are what takes care of us. They are the first show of love for us. It's like the first people to ever show us love are our guardians. Whether that's perfect or not, it's still there. It's the first. And that will... It's like your first love. It's never the same. It's never the same. Why is that? You know, why is that? So, you know, I think we have a lot of work to do as a society, a thousand percent. 
uh, around suffering and around community. <laughs> Why did our kids just do that? Because I don't think I don't think that that will help our God complex. You know, I think it it'll just continue to to be something that's always there for us. And our parents will always let us down. People will always let us down. That's okay. They're allowed to. They're allowed to. You know, it's, I I think more the important piece is how do we handle when they do? How do we handle when they don't meet our expectations? How do we handle how do we handle when you know they're they're not perfect for us? Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, and that's, like, a huge thing. I know, like, for me personally, that's a huge, been a huge thing, is, like, how do you not be, take responsibility for other people? Like, I know that's been a thing that you and I have been working on specifically, and so, like, not being, feeling responsible for them, and then not feeling responsible for their response to something and thinking that it's your fault because of that. And I, you know, and I think that's like, I think it's just another one of those generational things. That's just, you know, I, you got to break the cycle at some point and <clears throat> try to not do that anymore or not feel that way because of that. So then you don't sure. recreate that cycle. That's a hard um, Hard one. You know, savior <laughs> complex, right? We call it the savior yeah. complex. You know, holding on to a sneeze. So I might sneeze on you guys, but I've been like trying to hold it back for a second now. Um, savior complex is something that, you know, and, and not to get too too spiritual with with where I'm going with, you know, this response, but I think that we come in wanting to save the people around us. There's a value to being wanted. There's a value to being needed. Um, I think that even from a young age, like we talked about the God complex, I feel like when God's hurt, right? So like when our parents are sick or when they have a birthday, like we want to be worthy, you know? So it's like, let me bring you soup. And like, you know, you try to take care of your parents. You want to show them love because your understanding of the love is how they take care of you. The real deep connection to love from a parent is when you're hurting right? So when you're sick, when you're not feeling good, and then they're there for you and you're like, oh my God, the savior, right? So I think naturally we want to save them. Um, and we can't, <laughs> Lord knows I couldn't save mine. Um, you know, I think we can all agree. There's no saving your parents, right? And, and, but we try, but we try when we're younger and, and then we try when there's a divorce or when there's a quarrel between them. And then, you know, then, I think that it's a really beautiful thing that it, it comes from, that it stems from really beautiful energy that the savior complex stems from because we, we naturally want to help, right? But then I think it takes on, depending on the codependency of the relationship with parent to child, it can take on that becoming the foundational energy for love. So it's like, I've got to jump to their aid whenever they need me because that's how they tell me that, you know, that I'm caring, right? I know everybody's parents have said at one point or another, you should call your more, like you should call your grandma more, you should call your dad more, you should call your brother more, right? It's like, we, we gotta be told that we're like 
doing good mm-hmm. in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Or we've got to be reminded. It's like, well, we're reminded like that. That's that savior complex coming in for that person for you. It's like there's a need to connect, right? There's a need to connect. And the only way to do that is by saving. But really, I mean, all you can do is save yourself. But then even that becomes selfish. So that's a whole nother, you know, there, there's a whole nother piece of that. But I mean, my, my opinion quickly on that is that I think that's the wartime culture that's phasing out with a lot of um, the older generation is, you know, when you're worried that like Hitler's going to come and take over your country, <laughs> you know, it's like all for one. And so we all for one and, you know, put, put everything <laughs> else behind us. But, you know, that's our grandparents' age. And so that's what they grew up in. And that's what they, you know, the fear that came from that. And that's why it's like, take care of your elders and, you know, make sure you open the door and like be chivalrous and like chivalrous kind of even like coming, making, <laughs> making a resurgence, I feel like. Um, but that's kind of falling off even. And I think that that goes back to that whole generation, just fear, fear of war, you know? And so everybody coming together for something that's greater than you. And so you sacrifice and there's that, there's that other vow, right? Suffering and sacrifice. So now sacrifice comes in. And the whole, and a whole generation of people are taught we got to sacrifice. That's the only way that we can love our country. And it's like, well, okay. And then when we're not in war, how do we sacrifice for our country? How do we handle that? How how do we handle the people that come back that don't have to fight anymore? And we haven't really figured that one out, you know. And I think that that goes to show why we keep going to war. And I think that goes to show why we um, keep keep having these mental health crises, right? And just because we don't know how to not sacrifice physically, ourselves physically. We don't know how to sacrifice emotionally. That's the struggle. That's interesting because when you were saying that, what the, the what we what popped into my head was like every conversation I think that we had at my parents' mm-hmm. house about COVID and my resistance to vaccinate myself and that was always the argument is like this is we have to come together and we're all gonna do this as a team and I was being like a selfish island right Right. it's a public health crisis don't you know right and like (laughs) and it's interesting because it's like we haven't had that fear right of like Hitler showing up no it's okay in any of (laughs) right (laughs) but and but even that everything's been away like war being fear or or like a draft happening like all of that fear is really far removed from us and so like this pandemic situation is like uh bringing back like jacking up that fear again and bringing so it's interesting and that's a really interesting perspective that that's what that fosters that that yeah. sort of fear I mean, you know that. selfishness is a hard thing so starting the conversation you know i talked a little bit about like radical self-reliance and radical responsibility for one's self right and i think that that can sound selfish right like that's like almost the very definition of, of selfishness and I think that's why a lot of people uh, a lot of older people don't 
deal with what's going on with them. If you think like about your parents, how often do your parents go to the doctor? And I mean, most of our conversation on doctors here because I don't go to the doctor. shame was there around getting sick like some people couldn't even say that they got COVID because it was like the judgment automatically of like well where were you and you must have been going out and like you must have broken curfew and it's like wow you know again we got back into that that phase of like you can't be sick you can't be bad you can't be wrong you can't be anything it's like you just got to be home and be perfectly in your lane you know and that's what's best for everybody because that's <laughs> right. controllable and I think that, you know, that selfishness, being self-centered, focusing on oneself, you know, whatever term you want to use for it, I think is actually the, the key and the only way to strengthening the relationships around you. It's like, if, you can't, if you're not good with you, if you're not healthy, you can't go out. And then that's the funny part. We say that with COVID, right? It's like, well, if you're not feeling okay, stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. but we're going to shame you. <laughs> yep. You know, so mm -hmm. I was going to say, Le yeah, Lexi, you talked a lot. You talked a lot about that. Like in the last ep episode that we talked about this, as far as like the doing your own, like a lot of, a lot of negative interactions within relationships, whether they be romantic or familial or whatever would be so much better if you just, figured out your own shit and then you wouldn't be fighting with the other person all the time and I know I, Lexi you talked like you mentioned that in the last one and like but people don't recognize that yeah. and it's hard because I think like you said Ashley like we're we it's ingrained in us that like yeah it's for the greater good and yeah. self-care is selfish but I think that 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 thought process is changing now I think with our generation that it's like we're trying to change that where it's not selfish where self-care actually makes you better for everybody else around you and you know so I I think I don't know hopefully that's shifting so that's but it's hard because even like you said with COVID, it's just like, it's, you know, it's just this constant like finger pointing and like, you're bad, you're bad. Or like, you you know, you can't, you can't win. You can't do it right. There's no, there's no, there's no good way. The camera, but right. no, I think, this, I think the conversation shifted. And I think, Go ahead, mm -hmm. and I think Bro. even like being vulnerable, in front of older generation, like leading by example, like we've been talking about that, Lexi, you and I have, but the, um, like we had a conversation, I've, I often explain what I'm going through or what I'm working through with my parents, specifically with my father, because he and I have, I, he's, he's my closest bond that I have always had. And he and I operate in a very 
very similar way mentally and emotionally. And we recently had an experience where he like in the middle of dinner with he and my mom and I like broke down crying because he has like just feels so much pressure and he can't he doesn't feel like he can even be who he wants to be or do things that he wants to do because he has to be strong for his family and I consider my dad to be like a very emotionally literate male like he's very he has always felt to me like that he's been open and that we've had lots of conversations about emotions and feelings and he's always been super introspective and able to describe how his brain works and how his emotions work and then in in an effort to explain how I might go through things in life so like from the time I was very tiny he's explained to me that he has a very what he considers an addictive personality and he's learned that that can be something like alcohol or drugs or (laughs) it can be exercise and and so he never learned to lessen that the grip that that has on his life but he learned that he can channel it into exercise or something that's productive and allows you to still be a part of your family and society versus like alcoholism which is a very real struggle for him for a while before I was ever born and so he then like saw me and who I am as I was growing up and in like from literally probably like four or five (laughs) would tell me this like you know what I mean find something to be positively addicted to and so I like we've had all these sorts of conversations my whole life and so it was wild to me to see how much he's suppressing all the time because of this societal need to be strong and like the the especially on men I think is like this like to be strong for your family and provide for your family which I think is a little bit older generation than ours but it still manifests today I mean even like when my brother and I have been at odds about something or I've said disagreed with my brother about something in front of my dad he will quickly jump to his defense and say well he is under stress because he has to provide for his family and he has to do this and he has to be everything for all of these people. And so it's just like that, that mindset is so pervasive and so ingrained. And then it leads to you limiting yourself and not in, and never again, like my dad can't like you, I, as I'm learning to, to, to care for myself and to make myself a priority, I can see that he sure. can't do that at all. I'm like, you know, to the point of I channeled this whole energy healing for his hips. He has, he's already had a hip replacement at, at 50. He's like, he's long distance runner. Anyway, I channeled all this stuff for his hips. And I, the first assignment I gave him was a stretching routine which is literally 10 minutes of stretching a day. And he's had that downloaded on his phone for two months and he can't, he texts me about it. He checks in and he said, I'm sorry, but I can't, I haven't been, I haven't even gotten to it yet. And that's like 10 minutes a day. He can't take 10 minutes a day to stretch because it's so uncomfortable when you get to, I mean, it's uncomfortable for us, but I can only imagine, you know, like 20 years down the road. There's a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot. (laughs) 
They don't feel that they can connect with you. They don't feel that you understand. Why is that? Where did that stem from? And that therapy is different. And I think a lot of therapists, um, because of the, you know, lawsuits and things like that, and again, just my opinion, but, you know, a lot of therapists that when they hear somebody say use, if they hear somebody talk about use, it's automatically you need to get treatment. And that's how insurance is run. And so they just push mm-hmm. these people into addiction therapy, even though the person could really use the fucking therapist for something else. So that's what I want to say about addiction. Now, and I think it relates to with people in our parents' generation bottling up emotion, right? Um, I believe that that's part of what leads to like all these big, um, shifts with like Alzheimer's and dementia that seem to be happening more and more for the older generation is that they're just bottled up emotions that they've never dealt with and they don't know how to get out. And so these outbursts, um, you know, when, when older people become ornery and like, you can't be around them. It's like, they're just fucking angry. They've been fucking angry their whole life, but they have no one to talk about it, especially females, mm-hmm. especially females. Right. It's like you find these old ornery women who lost their husband and never marry again and like don't go out of the house and like the ants, the crazy ants, you know, that just like no one wants to be around. It's like, why is that? And it's no one fucking supported them. No one talked to them as a female about how to deal with the fact that they didn't want a man and felt that they could be an individual and they grew up in a society where no one talked like that. That wasn't okay. You had to have a man to be successful and you had to have a partner and you know then this leads into the conversation of you talking about finding one person and marrying them right again radical self-reliance is the only way to get to shift out of that mindset is i'm not with somebody to fulfill me i am with somebody because it's the icing on the cake because i think that they deserve to be in my presence because i think that they're fun to be around and I want to be around them more than anybody. And I'm also sexually attracted to them. It's not that I need them. I don't need them. I need me. But again, I think that it all relates, right? It's like we have this bottling up that's taught to us through lineage that goes back to not being selfish. We bottle up these emotions and then we put our, our value on somebody else, right? I can't deal with myself. So how about I just find somebody else to fix goes back to being a savior. We try to fix this other person that that becomes our life's work is like fixing our husband or wife, you know, and like because we can't do it with our parents anymore. And so we do that and then we continue to bottle our emotions and not talk about them with each other, which leads to the massive amounts of addiction in, in this nation and people peeling bottles of wine every night like it's nothing and that becoming the relationship. And then at the end of it all comes the dementia and the. Alzheimer's and the ornery nature of losing somebody and then we still can't connect with our kids because it was never fucking about our kids. It was always about us trying to save our significant other because we couldn't we couldn't talk about or deal with ourselves. So we placed our love and our value in that other person. Mm-hmm. And then the cycle fucking continues. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the again going back to fucking everybody pause for a second and say, okay, and even you, and I've talked to you both about, you know. Why are you in your relationship? Are you in your relationship for to save each other? Are you in your relationship to save yourself? Are you, are you in your relationship because you complement each other? Do you, do you need each other? Do you want each other? What's that look like? Um, 
because like for me with my boyfriend i know you know he's just he he is just the icing on the cake but i could find another one of him anytime i want to that's the piece and he's aware of that and i've told him he's just like hey i want you i love you because <laughs> when you can't say that when you can't have that conversation and say I think in my mind right now, you're the only one for me. I believe that. I do. I love you. I don't want anybody else. But if I don't all of a sudden want you anymore, if something doesn't work out, trust me, I'll find another one. That That's because I know I'm good within me because I can trust myself to say, I'm not happy here. So I step away. And I trust myself to then say, I stepped away. And because of that, I'm in my power. And I know that within my power, I can attract another mate if I want one or if I need one. It's all about you. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I covered a lot in that one. <laughs>